Medicare for all. Your bros can suck my balls. Fuck your reply, guys. Please don't fuck your reply, guys. Just listen to reply, guys. Hello and welcome back to Reply Guys. The leftist feminist comedy podcast for the rest of us. Julia. Oh, wait, I'm supposed to say my name first. I'm Kate. I'm Julia. Fuck yeah. yeah. I feel like we have like a... I want this to be like a cooking show. Um, I I was thinking about Reply Guys uh, right before we started because we were talking about who's the Reply Guy of the Week. And I, I think that Reply Guy of the Week is, is a broad category of people, uh, which is TERFs. Absolutely. Um, TERFs are really, boy, are they replying a lot. They, they're so whiny. They are, they are, you would think that they're the most oppressed people in the world. They are just constantly acting like they are so aggrieved and, uh, you know, uh, you know, of course, we've it's been, you know, it's been a big couple of years for TERFs, of course, with, uh, you know, J.K. Rowling. Uh, yeah. And ContraPoints had such a good video <gasps> on oh, this. I and, loved I loved uh, her video about that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we'll link it in the comments. But so I think the point more broadly that, like, I want to make about these these people that are like, there's there's a group of people, um, you know, some of them are like intellectual dark web or whatever, like a fucking Jordan Peterson, Ben Shapiro. But then you also have some center left people like um, Katie Herzog or uh, Jesse Single that like a big part of their career is antagonizing trans people mm-hmm. or non-binary people. That's like what they do. That's how they make their money is by being like, yes, I'm a contrarian, even though like it's just the most hack hack way of getting canceled. And so I don't know. I mean, like, I just don't, I, I am not a, I'm not a, a, a cancel absolutist in any way, but I mean, to me, it's like, you can't, make your career antagonizing trans people and then be surprised when people call you transphobic because yeah. like being transphobic is the reason that you have an income so i don't know why that i mean it's it just like i mean yeah these are all you, people who are like turf is a slur <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah there was this video with katie herzog and glenn greenwald where oh, glenn they were, they were yeah they were talking about um they were talking about the ladder of oppression and, uh, you know, how, like, trans people are now higher on the ladder uh, than, you know, like, uh, cis gay people. You know, and it's just, like, I, the idea that, like, there are, you know, advantages to being oppressed is something that, I just see these, like, uh, these people just kind of, like, just hammering all the time. And, you know, I mean, it's just, like, I I don't, like, the reason why there is, like, some effort among good people to, like, you know, help trans people get jobs and stuff or uh, fight for trans rights is because those have been denied, you know? 
So yeah. it's just, I don't know. To me, like, the idea that, like, people are just, like, jealous of someone else being more oppressed. I mean, if you're jealous of someone else being more oppressed than you, then I would suggest getting some fun in your life, yeah. man. Because <laughs> there are I way mean, funner things than being oppressed. I would suggest that for Glenn Greenwald as just a blanketed statement. I, it hurts me to see him... Just and how how the mighty have fallen. I truly, he has gone. I mean, it's been said before, and it'll be said many times again. He has just gone so far off the deep end, and it has gotten into like almost. Well, it's it's actually it's pretty similar to a lot of like right wing, like ultra right wing podcasters or radio hosts or something these people in like very privileged positions acting as if they're the oppressed ones and genuine, like genuinely Glenn Greenwald, like for a long time was absolutely ostracized for, um, for his reporting and things like that. But he's just, he, as well as his sexuality, I'm sure. 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 But he also now is like, a cancel culture warrior and like here's the thing about like cancel culture right so you know i definitely think that people make mistakes i said stuff my freshman year of college not on twitter thankfully but it was stupid i was like a you know a little dummy from the suburbs that was, you know, just like, I didn't know a lot of things. And like, I, I, I'm i sure I probably said some ignorant stuff and like learning more is part of the uh, process of, you know, becoming an adult and a better person. So, you know, I, I am not, I never feel really happy to see people get like losing jobs for like, you know, 10 year old tweets or something. I, you know, I don't want to, I I am in no way trying to like position myself as any kind of authority on this, right? Because I definitely, you know, I I am not uh, attempting to excuse anyone for the harm that they caused people that were not me. I'm just saying in general, I am not someone who is like cancel everyone. Yeah. But that being said, like to me, there's a really big difference between you said something by accident that you now regret or have learned from or even it was a tasteless joke versus people who are like making their entire career like purporting to be some sort of you know contrarian intellectual of like you know oh you can't say that like you know some people actually regret transitioning or something you know it's like you're literally making like a lot of money from that. It's the only reason that people know who you are, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, I don't know. I mean, these, <laughs> I just, you know, these folks that are like, um, yeah, you know, everyone can get canceled for this stuff. It's like, it just, it just to me feels like a very cynical, like career ploy for, for some of these folks. And with Glenn Greenwald, it makes no sense because I mean, he is like a, he's a good journalist, you know, his Twitter is like, his Twitter's a lot, but I mean, with some of these folks, like Jesse Single, you know, he, he, I know there was like a harassment 
harassment claims like I to be honest I haven't even looked into him like his work alone the fact that he's like fixated his entire career on trans people um like that for me is enough to be like yeah it makes sense that people would call this person transphobic you know and that's a big reason that their their podcast gets you know subscribers and stuff is because there's this idea that like people want to be able to you know, people want to cancel for everything. Like, you can't say anything anymore, you know, which is, like, so boomer, if you ask me. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, you know, but, like, in this video with Katie Herzog, she's, like, saying, you know, well, you know, if we're not allowed to make fun of trans people, what, are we not going to be allowed to make fun of furries? I don't know, man. It's, like, t- okay, to well, me, that's, like, the slippery ugh. slope thing First of all, first of all, that's not fine. Yeah, that, that's not analogous at all. That is very no, much. No, it's not analogous at all. That is yeah. that is like people like in the, the the gay marriage debate. People used to be like, "Well, what are people going to be able to marry their dogs?" It, well, that's exactly what I was about to say. Yeah. Is like it's amazing to me that these like Gen X gay people who are a lot of the time who turfs are, you know, um, mm-hmm. like Gen X cis lesbians a lot of the time um what is it about and and a lot of them are british also yeah i mean contrapoint's video goes into this like way way better than than i ever could but you know uh, she theorizes about it to some extent but i think that there is this this kind of like pretend thing where um these like turfs see um trans people especially trans well both you know both trans men and trans women is somehow like a threat to lesbians either by the fact that like someone who was born male would have access to uh a woman only space um which is like i mean yeah that's literally like being upset about that is like literally the the by definition turf right Mm -hmm. um and you know then there's people that like um you know feel like okay well you know maybe some trans men would be you know butch lesbians and you know we've we've lost another lesbian and that that is I don't know, man. That's just incel shit to me. Like, the reason that you can't get a date or whatever is not because there are no lesbians. It's because you're a pill, you know? Yep. It's just, it's recycled incel garbage. But I'm I'm annoyed with TERFs ongoingly. TERFs are our reply guy of the week. Yeah, and then, like, you know, it's been... It was really disappointing to see, like, Dan Savage go to bat for... For Jesse Signal as well. Um, is it single or or Signal? I don't know. I don't but know. here's the I whole thing care. with the situation. People are going to write me and they're like, oh, well, there's actually this thing about the situation. I don't care because I haven't bothered to fully learn about it because to me, it's all like irrelevant. Like I'm just making a, I'm making a judgment based solely on like, why the fuck does a cis person become obsessed with these issues, you know? Like, why if you're just, like, the idea of, you know, somehow, I think you say sometimes, like, people like to pretend that they're just calling balls and strikes, yeah. you know? A lot of the time, uh, trans issues, issues of, like, uh, trans rights, trans medical care, 
you know, they're framed as like this thing that like, it's okay to just have, um, you know, just this like totally neutral intellectual opinion about and we just need to you know debate uh we need to like get these issues into the open and debate them but it's like the the empathy is completely missing like we're talking about humans yeah it's 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 not like a like just that 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 kind of like um super distancing intellectual everything's a debate tone like that is transphobia you know like um, I mean, it's not hard for people to identify it as misogyny when someone comes out and is like, you know, I'm th- it's it's kind of like the Google memo, dude, the the James Damore yeah. thing, where he was like, well, you know, like, are what if women aren't, you know, able to be engineers and it's actually something in their brain? I I guess. I guess a lot of people who are serfs would have defended that guy too. But like the idea that like when you're talking about someone else's basic rights or humanity, that it's just a purely intellectual pursuit. No, I don't buy it. And ugh, I, it's exhausting. And obviously, you know, we are constant, we're still constantly having discussions in our culture about the, you know, the rights of different marginalized groups. During the Nixon administration, we still continue to have debates about Title IX, which is basically that, like, men's programs and women's programs have to get the same amount of funding in, uh, like, at, at the collegiate level and, and in schools. Um, yeah. I don't know. I'm... Yeah, uh, it, I mean, it's... there. These folks are always, like, so... You know, they're always like, well, what if there's a trans woman in sports and she's stronger? I mean, it's like, this is not, (laughs) this is not a thing that's happening. This is like, if women's, that's that's not even on the top 1,000 problems in women's sports. Women's, I mean, there's like, there's so, so much sexism um, and, you know, men's sports are so prioritized. I'm not going to pretend to know about sports. I really don't. But part of the reason that I don't is because, I mean, it's like, it, it is, you know, definitely men's sports that are, are funded and glorified. And, and I, I know we're going to get listener emails, you know, that like, um, you know, actually check out the WNBA and stuff. And I, I'm just not a sports person. But the thing is, is like when point is when I'm hanging out with a bunch of friends and people are talking about basketball, it's not the WNBA. Yeah. Although I know there are some incredible players in there. And also, I, I you know, I do love sports and. Well, she's from Boston. You're I'm from, from Boston, Boston. So that's the law. Uh, And but I, I will say like. Yeah, the arguments that I know we're really getting off topic now, but but the arguments that they just don't like draw, they don't have the same draw as men's sports. I mean, yeah, dig a little deeper, ask why that is. And also, it's like the Women's College World Series, the um in for college softball and uh the Women's NCAA basketball tournament, they pack the stands and they both like do pretty well on TV. So, but I mean, yeah, the idea, but you know, you hear a lot of these accounts out of uh, different schools and obviously this is, you know, 
yeah, there are more important things in sports, but you know, uh, it, it's a turf dog whistle. It's a tur- the, the, the sports, the sports thing is a turf dog whistle as is the bathroom thing. But I think a lot of people know about that one. Yeah. Um, because you know, I don't know. This is going to, um, turf, turf going to come like, as a shock. Turf's being like, I really care about sports is such narc shit anyway. <laughs> just like no you don't you don't care about sports oh you love sports name one team i know (laughs) um um yeah you care about posting oh yeah you know like if you're right to post it comes infringed on it anyway then i'll believe that you have a stake in the matter jesse you're an elite athlete please tell us more yeah um so i think that um yeah, I mean, it's just a weird opinion for, like, a, a feminist to have, at any kind of feminist, that, like, oh, you know, <laughs> men have to, men are dressing up as women to do violence to women. Mm-hmm. It's like, if you're a feminist, you're probably aware of the fact that uh, men have a lot of ways of doing violence against women. <laughs> You know? They, you know what? There's a lot it's of inno- pretend. there's a lot of innovation in the field of violence against yes. women. So uh, yeah. So let, let's just talk for a second here. I have another uh, story this week that I want to bring to your attention, which is that uh, Prince Harry found a job. Good for him. I know the pandemic is really hard. I know, um, and, the, and we were so worried about him because he he has so little. Um. So he is now the chief impact officer that's a very uh, silicon valley title um uh, for a silicon valley mental health company called better up um you know promoting I, I according to vice uh better up is a place where workers can be connected to coaches that help better workers and he is um positioning himself as you know an advocate uh for people who have mental health issues which like i i definitely believe you know megan markle had the issues that she said that she did but, and i mean and, and his his mom was like very yeah. open but here's where you know it's easy to call bullshit is um like people in, in the uk have access to free mental health care um like you know counselors <laughs> psychiatrists well i mean it's not like that an app is not the solution to people getting the help that they need yeah no it's true and i think i mean there's a lot of if we if we do have any british listeners i'm sure that they would i know that my that a lot of them would say that like the nhs really doesn't cover a lot of uh a lot of mental health services. Yeah, sure. It absolutely should. I mean, I, I know that there are many complaints with the NHS. But yeah, I but mean, I mean, yeah, certainly. I mean, way better than, than what we have here. Yeah. No, no I question. I mean, like, it, it costs like, it costs like $200 to see a therapist in New York. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I see a therapist. I found a place where they have, you know, sliding scale. Um, and, you know, it's a... Uh, so it's it's a bit cheaper, but I mean it's like through a school and to be a wait list for a long time, and it's like, you know, a lot of insurance doesn't really cover 
um, very much mental health care or you have to pay most of it. And there's a lot of people that don't have insurance. And, you know, basically it's it's just really, really hard to get it's really hard and so so the thing about prince harry is that he basically just like torched all of the goodwill that he uh that he had built up um it's like the um it's like the uh what's that guy's name the parkland kid who like torched it all for a pillow company good pillow oh did he i I didn't even hear david hogg that's yeah well i mean He's making a pillow company now. He's like, this is how we're going to solve these problems is with my pillows. And so the other, the other Parkland kids are making fun of him. Okay. Like, well, oh, that's we're so sorry. honestly, yeah. that's very funny. And, but David Hogg, like, I guess in David Hogg's defense, he's not a fucking prince. <laughs> um, True. But yeah. yeah, it's like. His family is not responsible for um, colonizing the, the world. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, Prince Harry had built up all this goodwill as being, you know, he, I think he just, like, really went to bat for his family in a way that was, for his family, meaning his wife and his his child, in a way that uh, was very admirable. And then the next piece of news was, like, oh, he's working for... Silicon Valley startup. Uh, so I don't know. Yeah, there that's are- true. I mean, I think a lot of us were willing to like. <laughs> I mean, look, I fucking the bar, hate the royal family. The, the bar is so low for the royal family that we the, were willing to be like. The bar is he's- so low for men. Sure. Men in the just, royal like, a family. Man being emotionally support. <laughs> that, just like a man being emotionally supportive people are like oh look at this like a man is uh, supporting his wife in some way emotionally you know it's like that should be the baseline i know and i guess when you're like uh, i mean it should be and i guess when you're uh for for prince harry when his uh the role model for for doing that is your is uh prince charles who totally just like threw Diana under the bus in a number of ways. And also the fact that he was such a, like, he was just kind of known as, like, the the party animal. He, like, wore a Nazi costume that one time. And we were like, oh, maybe he's turning his life around. Um, is this Charles? No, this is, uh, sorry, this is Harry. Harry wore a... A, a Nazi costume? Nazi I did not costume know about that. At a Halloween party when he was, like, in his late teens or something like that. Ew. Yeah, Ew. not good. cancel him. But cancel him. <laughs> I think people were like, "Oh, wow, he's he's finally turned himself around, and he's like the woke one of the family." Um, but I I guess all woke capitalism leads to Silicon Valley, anyways. It leads to an app yeah. that collects your data. <laughs> And that's, uh, so that's fun for all of us. Oh, what a world. Well, I'm very excited about our interview this week, which was really fun. I talked to my friend, uh, Jeff Seal, and Jeff Seal is a really, really cool person who makes, like, leftist comedy content, and he made a documentary exposing New York's worst landlords, so we had a really great talk about, um, landlords, 
why we uh, need public housing, um, all the kind of things that tenants act, tenant activists can, can do and have done. Um, and it was just a really, really illuminating conversation with a very funny and intelligent person who is also a mime. So okay, this, go off. This is your chance to hear him talk. It's your chance to hear him talk. So here we go. All right, welcome back to Reply, guys. We are here this week with um, a very good friend of mine, and I'm I'm so excited to talk to him, uh, Jeff Seal. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. So, um. I know you from Friends. I, you're the first mime I've ever met in real life, I think. Um, really? Am I the only mime you've ever met or just the first mime? No, I've met other mimes. Um, okay, okay, cool. cool. Yeah. Uh, but I was very surprised when we met at how, how talkative you are, you know? I never... <laughs> I, I wasn't expecting yeah. such a gregarious person behind the mime, you know? Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, I actually... Whenever I do mime, I always end up explaining what it is I'm miming. Um, so, yeah, I guess I'm not the best mime, but I, I tend to, like, mime something and then tell the audience what it is I just mimed in case they didn't get it. But, yeah. That's so uh, funny. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, but uh, today we're not, you're not miming on the show. No, Which is good because it's a podcast. But It is, Right. Um, but so we're talking today uh, about landlords, and you've spent the past many months of your life making a documentary about landlords. Um, tell tell me a little bit about why you chose this subject. Um, well, I mean, so the the basically the two guys I made it with, uh, Chris and Nick Libby, they came to me with um, the idea of doing a documentary on the. Um, the the uh the every year the city advocate puts out the landlord watch list which is like the worst landlords in the city and so i was immediately like yes let's do a documentary on this um i mean it's like you know everyone who lives in new york or any city has like you know some crappy story about um living with the sh like having a shitty landlord or whatever um so that was just sort of the entry point into it. And then we just kind of, we try, basically we try to get an interview with like any one of the landlords on the list. Obviously none of them really wanted to talk to us. Um, so like at, while we were doing that, we started like going to their buildings and talking to their tenants and, you know, seeing what it was like living in one of their buildings. Um, so we sort of, we profiled their conditions and then, we basically, we like started showing up at landlords offices sort of unannounced um, and that got kind of hairy. We had a bunch of places they called the cops on us um, and then like eventually we, I, I ended up sneaking into a landlord's convention. Like I went undercover and we had a, a hidden mic and camera and everything and we were talking to landlords and like vendors at this convention and we just got them saying like you know, pretty awful stuff. Um, basically, I just told him I was like, I pretended I was like, like I had inherited um, a bunch of buildings from my family. So I was kind of like new and green to how to, uh, you know, how to run a building or whatever. And I basically would just like straight up tell them, I was like, I've got a bunch of rent stabilized units and I want to force the tenants 
in those apartments out so I could then raise the rents to market value. And everyone was like, oh, okay, cool, great. Yeah, we, you know, we'd love to do business with you. And like no one batted an eye to be like, ooh, that's kind of, you know, maybe that's not the best way to run a building. Um, so yeah, it's, I mean, we, we worked on this, we started making this video, like we started reporting on it like three years ago. Um, and obviously we haven't been working on it the whole time, but you know, we were sort of just following a bunch of different stories and leads. And then we took a long time to edit it. And then we got like, um, we got like a cease and desist letter from one of the landlords whose office we showed up at. And so we had to like get lawyers to make sure we weren't, um, going to get sued and stuff. We, we went to volunteer lawyers for the arts. We got some really awesome lawyers who are working pro bono with us and trying to, so we're going to try and get insurance in case we do get sued. And that sort of delayed it, the, the release for a long time. Um, but yeah, that's sort of, that's kind of the, the story of making the video. <clears throat> So what are some of the more egregious things that you have seen from landlords over the course of reporting? Um, so there's a ton of stuff. I mean, one of the through lines we saw was just like the same type of things. Basically, there's a lot of uh, bathrooms where the ceiling would fall in and then there'd be like a massive leak and it would take landlords like weeks or months to fix it. And a lot of times you hear the same stories from people over and over that they're like, um, oh, yeah, they just came in and like painted over the crack. And then it kept on leaking for like, uh, you know, weeks and months. Um, that was just that was like, you know, um, one of the through lines we kept on seeing. Uh, we also saw a lot of places. We went to one apartment where uh, this older woman had all of her food in this like plastic this large plastic barrel. And so I asked, I was like, um, you know, what's, what's the story with this barrel? And then she was like saying like, oh, that's for the rats because the rats eat, um, will eat the food. So she had to keep her, uh, food in a freaking barrel. And, you know, she's like, we call the landlord to come and, and, and address these issues and they never come. And the reason why they don't come is because they were living in a rent stabilized unit and they want to like force these older long-term residents out, uh, then like redecorate the apartment and then jack up the rents, you know, bring it up to market, uh, market rate. I mean, that's one thing. Another thing a lot of landlords, um, would do is people would pay their rent every month and they pretend to not get the checks or they don't cash the checks. Then they, uh, give them an eviction notice and then they drag people to housing court and like, you know, housing court, it's like, you know, it's like the DMV times 10, you know, it's like you have to take, it's during business hours. So like you have to take time off of work or you have to get, um, you have to, you know, get uh childcare for your kid. Um, a lot of, uh, a lot of tenants don't have legal representation. So they have no idea what their, what their rights are. Um, they did pass a bill where eventually everyone in New York City will be guaranteed a lawyer in housing court. Um, but it's it's rolling out um, sort of slowly. So now it's only a few zip codes. 
So what lawyers would do stuff like, you know, obviously the landlords have these like, you know, very expensive uh, lawyers. And what these lawyers would do is they'd come up to the tenant before the trial and they'd say like, look, this is the best deal you're going to get. Let's just avoid going before the judge. We'll give you this buyout. So we'll pay you to leave your apartment um, and just sign this before you even see the judge. And so, you know, they'll, off, they'll offer someone like $40,000 to move out of a rent-stabilized apartment. $40,000 kind of sounds like a lot, but when you, first off, you got to take taxes out of that. And second off, like, you know, that's not, um, once you lose, once you start paying market rate rent in another apartment, that's not going to last you very long, you know? So like, um, but the tenants get scared thinking that's their only option. Um, sometimes people will just get an eviction notice from the landlord and think that that's official and then they'll leave when, you know, a, eviction actually takes, it's a much longer process going to housing court, um, you know, sometimes multiple times. Um, and, and before the like, you know, city marshal shows up and puts a, an official eviction notice, um, on your door you don't have to leave. So like, yeah, a lot of times people will get scared, but that's one thing we did is we, I made a, uh, uh, a sheet that looks like an eviction notice, but it's an interview notice. And I was like putting that on the door of landlords offices who weren't getting back to me, you know, like to try and get them to, you know, just sort of, sort of a joke to get them to try and call me for an interview. Um, but yeah, what other things? I mean, that's those are the main things um, that come to mind in terms of what I saw. Um, yeah, that is just first of all the eviction notice that you put on the landlord's thing is is, is so funny. Um, and so I can imagine you know, for these tenants that are mm. being bullied by their landlords, they probably don't feel like they have any recourse, you know? Right. Um, yeah. And also, you know, sometimes, uh, I don't know if we talked to anyone undocumented, but there are, there are, obviously they're doing this to undocumented people. So they're, they're afraid to go to court anyways, you know, or a lot of times there's a language barrier. Um, so yeah, like a lot of people don't know what their rights are. And if they're undocumented, they, they don't want to go through the system, you know, so they just pack up and leave. Man, that is just, that's so sad and frustrating. I'm, and I'm thinking, you know, to your example of the person who was living with a rat infestation. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I've heard so many stories like that in New York, bed bug infestations. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I've also heard of people living without any heat in the winter. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. That seems mm -hmm. to be a really common one. Is there anything that people are able to do in these situations? Well well, okay, so one very good thing is, so we started working on this in like 2018. It was about the 2017 list. In the summer of 2019, they did pass, once once Albany went blue, because um, Albany had been in Republican control for, I think something like 40 years or something, but like after Trump got elected and then, you know, everyone freaked out and, and, and started, you know, voting for actual, you know, for Democrats on the local level and sometimes actual progressive Democrats, you know, um, they finally could do something about in Albany because a lot of the a lot of laws, there's a lot of these really shitty loopholes 
that got added to the rent laws in the early 90s um, by the, you know, Republican legislator legislature. And, you know, Rebney, the the real estate board of New York, um, they would pay tons of money. They pay a ton of money, of course, to Cuomo. You know, obviously, we all know Cuomo sucked way before all this stuff that's coming out right now. Oh, you yeah. Know? Yeah. It, it's like, I mean, it's awful that this is happening, but at least now... Every every, you know, a lot more people want to get rid of him, even though we should have, you know, he was awful to begin with. Um, but so these law, so a lot of there's a lot of loopholes that landlords could do to deregulate rent stabilized apartments, uh, like without getting into it. But it's like every, it's a lot of like really boring sort of stuff or whatever. But a lot of those laws got changed and repealed in 2019. So like there's like about a hundred, sorry, there's about a million rent stabilized units left in New York. And so those are now forever going to be rent stabilized. There used to be something called like the sunset clause or something where every few years when the rent laws would expire, they would have to renegotiate it. And if they didn't come to uh, an agreement, the, the rent stabilized apartments would automatically become unregulated. So that like created this thing where, like every few years they'd have to like quickly put together some law or they'd have to like renegotiate the laws. But now these rent stabilized units are that are left, even though, you know, there's been a ton that have been unregulated. Um, <coughs> these laws are th those units are forever rent stabilized. So that's great in the sense that landlords don't have the incentive to force people out of their apartments because they can't raise the rent anyways. Um, so like, for instance, we, we, um, profiled this one management company, um, and, uh, they were, and they were the ones who like, uh, were going to call the cops on us and they saw that we were filming. And so they like had us turn off our camera, but they, they, like, we just had, like, we just went in the building with the camera rolling because they wouldn't respond to our emails or their calls. So we just showed up. Um, and like my camera guy's just like holding the camera, you know, by his waist and um, filming. And then so the guy saw it, he's like, is that filming? And we're like, and then my camera guy's like, yeah, it's filming. He's like, all right, we'll turn that off. Otherwise, we're going to call the cops. But he didn't realize that the sound guy was still getting audio. So we got um, the audio of this exchange or whatever. Um, and in the video, we ended up sort of acting out the audio with a puppet show. That's you know, so funny. I love it. Yeah, I was trying to like think of creative ways. First, first, what we did, the first part of the audio is we went through their Yelp page and just looked at all these awful reviews that they had. They're like, these people are slumlords. They don't fix anything. They don't return the calls. They hang up on us. We showed that. And then when it gets a little more heated, we like acted it out with the puppet show. Anyways, this same company, they were going to purchase a building uh, for something for like, I don't like millions of some maybe like thirty million dollars or something like that. Maybe that's a little somewhere in the millions. They had like thirty rent stabilized units in it, but the sale didn't go through. So after two thousand nineteen, when all those units would be forever rent stabilized, they sued to get out of buying the building. And if you read what their lawyer wrote, is basically like they bought these buildings under the under under the understanding that they would be able to avail themselves of the rent stabilized units which is like lawyer speak for like they were planning on evicting these people one way or another 
you know? So that's how, so hopefully that stuff will uh, happen less now. People buying buildings for, they you used to, like you could read stuff about, this building has unlocked value, which is to say, once you get rid of the rent stabilized tenants, you can raise the rent and make more money, you know, which, which is why we need to have housing that, it, you know, social housing, which is outside, which is not tied to the free market, you know, like the housing in many ways needs to be thought of in the same way as healthcare. Um, you know, it's a human right. And if you leave it to the free market, people are going to get fucked. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, so absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, I know we're talking here mostly about New York, but, you know, right. these issues are, are issues all over yes. the country. I I lived in San Francisco um, oh, yeah. at the height of like the most recent tech boom. And I remember, right. you know, 2014, 2015, mm-hmm. you'd see these situations where a bunch of rent controlled buildings were burning down. And were Jesus, some of them, yeah. uh, you know, were, were, there, were there some accidents? Who right. knows? But were they all accidents? Yeah. No, I think that there were many cases where um, landlords were like actually setting these properties yeah. on fire um, yeah. because then no. they could rebuild and replace with another tenant. Dude, yeah, I um I I got some audio of a vendor um at um the the um landlord convention I went to, sort of joking about that. He's like, "Well, you know, maybe your building sets on fire. Maybe you buy the building next door and an accident happens. You know, these things happen." He's joking, but it just sort of showed like the callousness in how they cuz like the problem is is that they view housing like it's a commodity. You know what I'm saying? Not like they don't think about the family that's lived there. You know, the people born and raised in there. It's like they think of it as a way to make a ton of money. It's like if you want to make a ton of money, you know, go to the stock market. There are other ways to make a ton of money, but you can't treat housing homes as a way to, you know, make millions of dollars. You know what I'm saying? I completely um, agree. (laughs) And probably everyone listening to this podcast feels the same way. Um, Yeah. So one of the things that I find the most annoying is whenever mm-hmm. there's these discussions of, you know, landlords and, um, you know, just like the terrible, terrible, terrible things that they're doing to tenants. There's always like someone that's like, well, what about, you know, like this mom and pop landlord right. that there's these like, you know, they, they just have one unit and right. it's how they are re- retiring. And uh, I, you know, it's, I feel like that is, that example is used in the way that like, it reminds me of how um, small businesses is used Uh where like, it's actually these huge corporations that will be talking about small business because nobody's on the side of the corporation. Can you say a little bit about that? Well, yeah. I mean, like I saw some video that Rebney put out where they found like this small, you know, one person landlord and and he was talking about how the rent laws will hurt him. I mean, look, there there is a huge difference between, you know, a person who just owns one or two buildings. That guy or woman, you know, whoever owns that is is going to they're going to know their tenants. You know, they know who the people that they're renting to. The people that I profiled are people who literally they take out million dollar loans to buy swaths, large swaths of building this buildings this one company we profiled they they bought like 50 buildings in like you know williamsburg bushwick greenpoint aka like these like you know 
uh, fast, you know, these gentrifying neighborhoods. They don't know who the fuck lives in their buildings. We profiled some uh, a family um, who lived. They were paying like four thousand dollars for a two bedroom apartment. They didn't have any gas or heat for like the first time they moved in. Uh, you know, for for like the first uh, few months that they were there, they were getting crappy service too. You know, it's because they don't. They're not. They're not. Like they don't know who lives in their buildings, you know what I'm saying? Um, the the there of course yeah there are p- the small time landlords who um, who you know are just doing what they can to you know keep their building going. But it's like if we on a larger level, you know, if if we can have like more affordable housing, and there's lots of different ways to do it where it will bring all the prices down if if there's um you know more more affordable housing for everyone you know what i'm saying and it's a huge structural problem and you know you're right just to be like well what about the small mom and pop it's like that's not there that's a very small thing compared to these large a lot the other thing um we we found in in our video is like a lot of people don't even know who their landlord is. They write check. I mean, a lot of people listen to this. They, when you write your check out, it's probably like your address plus an LLC. You know, like whatever your address is, LLC. And then like you you don't know where that goes. And we went to this one P.O. box where there's like a thousand apartment buildings registered as that address. And people would show up there like a few times a week trying to talk to their landlord. And they're like... This isn't your landlord's office. This is just a P.O. box, you know? Um, so, uh, yeah, I forget where I was going with that exactly. But, um, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, sorry, what I was going to say real quick. Basically, with Bloomberg, you know, in when he, he introduced the idea of, like, the public-private partnership for housing, I believe it was him, like, his idea is like, we'll let you build whatever luxury buildings you want, and we'll give you these huge tax, tax breaks if you have 10 to 20% affordable housing. But first off, like a lot of what they say is affordable housing, it takes all five boroughs into account and gets the average. So if you've got Manhattan, which has like the richest people in the world, you know, literal billionaires, the average is going to get skewed versus the South Bronx, which has some of the poorest zip codes in the country, it's not actually affordable, you know? And it's, it's only 10 to 20%. And then you put a luxury building in um, a, a gentrifying neighborhood, and the, the ripple effects of that are, are still adding to gentrification if you've got these, you know, very expensive apartments, and then other people are like, oh, well, I can raise my rent if, if you know, wealthier people are moving in, you know, smaller businesses are getting closed and it's, you know, it's a ripple effect. Yeah. And I think like, I mean, you know, you and I are uh, millennials ish at least. And (laughs) I feel like, you know, I don't, I, I I see these like boomers and even Gen Xers sometimes, you know, talking about like, tenants rights as right. as if you know it's it's somehow an issue that applies to a very small amount of people but honestly no. like most people in our generation and younger will be probably renters for the rest of their lives we're not able to buy houses at least in right. you know the major cities where we work you know or yeah but also even you see it with renters um 
it's like, you know, if you see, if you're like in like, you know, the West Village or, or the East Village and you see like an older sort of person who lives there walking around, you can, you know that they've got some like sweet rent stabilized deal. You know what I'm saying? It's yeah. like, the, it, it, like it, it is, it's just like, I was thinking about doing a video of just like interviewing people like, I've, like, I, you know, I've got a friend who lives in the East Village and he pays like $500. I was talking to this other guy who's got like the whole floor of a building in um, also or the Lower East Side for like $500. And it's like that just doesn't exist for us anymore. You know, it's like it, like, you know, not to say those people don't deserve it. And, and I'm, it's not their fault, but it's just like it, it, that just doesn't exist for wanting to live in a city, we we missed out on that, like getting a sweet apartment um, and, and the rent only going up so much every year. So it's always affordable. It's just like, you know, God forbid we get to live in an affordable freaking place that doesn't take half of our paycheck. You know what I'm saying? And that's just because I don't know, dot, 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 neoliberal. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just it, it's just unfair for our generations and, 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 you know, after us. I completely agree with you. I'm wondering if in the course of filming this documentary, you ever saw tenants push back against these, um, these horrible landlords. Did you see any examples of tenants organizing? Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. So we, we saw a lot of tenant associations. I mean, that's the other thing is, you know, start a tenant association but we saw a lot we 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 um we profiled a building that went on rent strike you know you get enough of your uh tenants together you can get it's very easy or i I don't know if it's easy but it's definitely very possible to get a lawyer you know from from legal aid or there's tons of places like riseboro um um uh I'm blanking, but there's a lot of organizations you can reach out to. I mean, obviously talk to DSA. Um, They're doing, you know, they're leading the, you know, uh, the cancel rent or or that's actually uh, it's it's a DSA adjacent. Maybe I'm not sure. Anyways. um, uh, And, uh, you know, the 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 people who got these laws passed in Albany are. you know, the tenant movement, people have been fighting for that for decades. Um, and so I was like super inspired by um, a, a lot of a lot of the tenants that we talked to. And, you know, it's like nine out of 10 times it's an older woman and it's an older woman of color who's like the head of the tenants association. You know what I'm saying? It's like it's people that have lived in these buildings for a long time And they're the ones that are leading this movement because, I mean, the other thing you see with a lot of these landlords is they they like young people in their apartments because they might just live there for a year or two or three. They're in college or they just moved to the city and they've got an internship and then they're gone. So they don't really care about the the overall, uh, you know, how the building is overall because they're going to leave in a few years and then the landlords can just keep cycling through people. But you know, for the families or the people who have, might be born in that building, have kids in that building, like they don't have the option to be like, oh, my internship's over. I'm going to go back to wherever the fuck I came from. You know what I'm saying? So those are the people that were like, they were the ones doing the tenant association meetings. And then their their larger groups, uh, tenant organization groups are banding together and they would go to Albany every 
week for months before the laws were passed. And like, the, so the tenant movement in New York is actually very strong and very inspiring, you know? Yeah, I'm, you know, I, I think like there's a constant debate on the left about the efficacy of electoral politics, especially, right. you know, right now it's it's coming up because our hopes for Bernie just got, you know, completely right. crushed. But one thing that I think is really cool is in New York, we have seen um, tenant activists elected, especially some of these uh, DSA backed candidates, um, yeah. Pharisee Front Forest and uh, Julia Salazar coming to mind. And, you know, there's folks that are running right now that are DSA backed for, for city council. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I'm wondering to what extent you have seen these folks be able to enact changes once they are in Albany. Well, yeah. So, um, yes, like Julia Salazar. So in 2019, they had nine bills that they proposed. Eight of them got passed. The ninth bill, which Julia Salazar um, wrote, is um, uh, it's the good cause eviction, and so that would um, that would uh, that would help every renter, whether you're in a rent stabilized unit or not. And so that didn't pass, but they they she reintroduced it, so they're um, trying to pass it this legislative term, um, and and that would mean that you have the right to re-sign your lease. The landlords can't just decide to, to not renew your lease for no reason whatsoever. As long as you're paying your rent and not like, you know, having parties with drug dealers in your apartment every night, you can re-sign your lease. Um, they, they can only raise your rent a certain amount based on like a consumer pricing index or whatever. Um, and uh, there's another element to it, but it's... um. That would affect everyone. So, yeah, that's, you know, an example of a DSA or progressive candidate um, actually, you know, uh, pushing a progressive cause that would benefit everyone. And, you know, I know just to our listeners for a minute, I know that, you know, we have many listeners that do not live in the New York area. And my hope is Mm -hmm. that, you know, right. That this information is is relevant yeah. to be you know to to kind of give you a starting point for what to look into in the place where you live because landlords fucking suck everywhere <laughs> you know yeah no totally yeah sorry it, it is this is like a very sort of New York set like I've just done this like this deep dive of all the information we want the for, deep dive yeah no okay, yeah absolutely yeah but I think like in general it's the idea that like you should not be afraid of your landlord. You know what I'm saying? We pay them a large portion of our paycheck every month so we have a place to live. Yeah. So you shouldn't be afraid to call them and ask for fixes and changes. And like, it's like, that's that's why we pay them. You know, we shouldn't feel lucky to be able to pay rent. That's, it. like, we pay them so much money every month, the least they can do is show up and fix a leak or, or address your problems. Like, that's that's their job. You know, that's their one job to do. So, I mean, that's, that, um, makes that, that, that's for anyone who lives anywhere, you know? I actually do my own landlord. I actually do have, um, a landlord that is like, uh, someone who I think is like a, a small landlord, like one of these like mythical folks. And, you know, when the (laughs) pandemic happens, when the pandemic happens, um, 
both of my roommates left um, to go back oh, to their cities. And he was actually very understanding about it. So yeah. absolutely no reason, um, you know, to complain about him personally. He was just like, yeah. okay, like, how much can you pay? That's all right. They're gone. We know it's a pandemic and stuff. But I was thinking, you know, for so, so many people, of course, mm. their landlords were not were not like that. And, you know, the, the pandemic has just uh, created just a horrible fallout with it's, housing. It- it's oh yeah it's gonna be i mean that's the other thing it's gonna be so these laws that that were passed in 2019 were great but i mean it's like there there could be a huge homeless crisis once the eviction moratorium ends there's like um there's like 1.2 million again this is new york specific but it's like there's 1.2 million people in new york who are behind on rent and they owe something like two billion dollars like if if that's not addressed and look i mean to be fair, the landlords still have to pay their property taxes, their mortgage, uh, you know, utilities. So it's like they need money as well. Um, if like it, there could be a massive homeless problem um, if this if this isn't addressed and like the housing court is going to be. Can you imagine like a million people going through housing court? That's going to be a nightmare. I mean, that could just like rip a uh, like, you know, rip the a large fabric uh of society if there's just this like a uh, uh, huge um f- uh, influx of homelessness uh, in, in new york that would affect everyone it's it's going to be um it, it could be a huge disaster i mean there's also i was just reading there's like you know, we have like 60 million dollars in the budget for rent and only 7 million of it um in the new york state budget was uh given out to renters um and then so there was a lot of money in the latest stimulus bill but I, I think it's unclear how that's going to actually make it to renters. So it, it, it's it's a huge problem. It, yeah, I I think that some folks don't understand um, that people still owe all that back rent. Yeah, and it's like, yeah. you know, if you've been unemployed during the pandemic, probably hard to make even one month of rent, but let alone yeah. like the, you know, the 12 months back rent you owe who how how are people supposed to come up with that money you know yeah it's a it's impossible it's like if you're giving half your paycheck for rent every month to begin with and then you lose your job um how yeah there's no way people are going to be able to pay back all that back rent so that's why it's just there it there's no other way it has to that money has to come from the federal and state government um otherwise people are going to get kicked out of their homes once the eviction moratorium ends you know i don't honestly i don't see that happening the demands for cancel rent you know have right. have been um kind of uh promptly shut down all over the yeah. country and they're you know those on the left that are still those on the left you know are are still kind of going for this but i i see even well-intentioned liberals um right. You know, maybe that's a euphemism, but, you know, being like, how how could we do this? How could we cancel rent and acting like it is some sort of like entitled demand? But I I don't think that people understand the the scale of the homelessness crisis that this could create, as you're saying, you know. Yeah. And and also it's more the the city spends more money on homeless shelters and outreach than they do. It would be cheaper to pay people's rent than to um, to provide for a home, uh, homeless people. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, 
it, 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 we just, the, the city spends millions and millions of dollars on homeless shelters and that doesn't solve the problem. It's like, if we could build affordable housing and, and, and put homeless people into, you know, uh, forever affordable housing that cannot be, uh, the rent can't be raised in astronomical amount. That's cheaper than the housing shelters, which are a nightmare anyways. You know, they're not safe. Yeah, especially not during COVID, especially, yeah. especially not during COVID. Um, not possible to social distance. Um, exactly, yeah. So, you know, I, uh, I, I'm wondering, like, if, what's like in in the pipeline what do you think will actually happen um in this situation i i really don't know like um for for so the the pandemic yeah specifically i i'm not sure i mean the the um the basically housing justice for all they're the ones as far as i know they're really spearheading the um cancel rent uh movement um, like I, I would go, yeah, housingjusticeforall.org. I would go to their website and, and that's like, you know, the place to get information and, and volunteer, um, and whatnot. But yeah, I, I don't, I don't know exactly what's going to happen. Um, it, but it, something has to, you know what I'm saying? It's, it'll be a, a disaster if nothing is done. It, um, it's, yeah. it's it's just really infuriating to like see this um you know these liberals are like oh my gosh fourteen hundred is so much it's the biggest you know this is the biggest <laughs> stimulus ever and it's like how the fuck is like fourteen hundred dollars going to you know that's right. that's not that's, that's not even a month of rent for a lot of it's people not, I know yeah. I know it, it's it's a drop in the freaking bucket it's infuriating I, yeah I don't know it's like um. Oh, yeah, it's 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 definitely maddening for sure. So, um, you know, we have all these situations where people uh, have these like horrible, horrible landlords. Um, are you know a, a lot of them are uh, like huge property management companies, right? The, right. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, these are just major, major corporations that this is like the sole way that they make their money. Right. Yeah, that's one thing I was going to say. It's like you know, if you the fact that you know your landlord and you can work out with them, like, oh, is you know, can you lower my rent? A lot of people don't know who their landlord is. So if you if you're paying your rent to some LLC, like. How can you even contact your landlord and work out some sort of deal? Um, like, yeah, I mean, the profit motive just has to be taken out of a, a large section of housing, you know, in New York and, and across the country where we if you can guarantee housing, that would solve a lot of problems. Obviously, that's a very huge problem but like you know in the 60s like like can you imagine what manhattan would look like if there was no public housing or rent stabilized units it would be all rich people yeah there'd be no one else living in manhattan um and sorry everything i say is so you know new york specific but like um this is true everywhere yeah it's true everywhere yeah any city like you know after you know world war ii and, and and in the 60s there was so much federal money to build affordable housing but like you know everything else in america we've relegated that more and more to the private sector you know like let's let the free market and and profit-driven stuff solve this problem but 
it's like, you know, whether it's, I don't see how you can still make the argument with a straight face that like, oh, the free market will solve these problems. Like we've seen what's happened in the last 45 to 50 years of, of just, you know, weakening the, the, the public sector in favor of the private sector. It's like, if you like people, people are going to literally destroy life on earth if they can make enough money in their lifetime. They don't care, you know? So it's like, you just have to, you have to come like, come up with solutions that aren't like, Oh, let's let a few, a handful of a few rich people solve all our problems. I guess it wasn't like, um, someone, what was it? Bernie Sanders called out Elon Musk and for being so rich. And Elon Musk is like, well, I'm, I'm solving a lot of problems. Uh, did I hear that on your podcast? I might've heard that on your podcast where, or I read, I heard it somewhere. I maybe, I don't know where Elon Musk is like, I'm figuring out how we can all go live on another planet. Space. Like, yeah. Space, space. billionaires. Like, Fuck you. I want to live in fucking New York. I don't want to live in, or, or I want to live in a fucking city. I want to go live on fucking Mars. Yeah. And- you know, it's like, the L train does not go to fucking Mars. You know what I'm saying? Like you can only go so far out on the L train before you're like, why do I even fucking pay rent to live in a city? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I completely agree. And, you know, I, I, I hear the like lib boomer response of like, well, not everyone gets to live in New York. You know, yes. like th- this is the the, the housing the the housing price crisis is is happening all over the country. Yeah, um, it's everywhere. You know, I mean, <laughs> I I feel like there's a, a common trajectory for people who have uh like I'm kind of thinking of the Bay Area, you know, yeah. people people that I know that you know grew up in the Bay Area, lived there since they were kids. You know, mm-hmm. that maybe they <laughs> they got priced out of there, so then they moved yeah. to to Portland and then they moved to to Austin and you know these like whatever yeah whatever area where there are jobs that is still right. affordable i mean that situation right. is rapidly rapidly changing and it's also right. like it's just you, you know people shouldn't have to leave their yeah. communities you know right. I, yeah that's something i think about a lot it's like what what does a city owe to the the people that were born and raised there. You know what I'm saying? It's like, shouldn't, like, so many New Yorkers and, and people of all cities get forced out of the places they lived in so people from all over the world who can afford it can move in to, 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 their, to their city. You know, it's like, it's like, you should be able to stay in the city you were born and raised in, you know? But that made me think, like, it'd be a funny video, like, you know like a, a gentrifying neighborhood in Mars, you know, it's like you, you move, you keep moving further and further out until you're finally like, Oh, well, I guess I got to move to Pluto now, you know? Absolutely. Um, and you know, there's an element of this that we haven't really, uh, got to, um, to talk that much about, which is, you know, there is absolutely no, like this, this crisis is, is inextricable from, mm-hmm. um, structural racism. Like, for um, sure. yeah. I, I am not the best person to talk about this, but I will mm-hmm. recommend to, to folks to check out the work of Kianya Yamada Taylor. 
mm-hmm. she has a, a great piece in the nation called there is no housing crisis it's just housing under capitalism but right. uh, she also has a book that uh, is really good race for profit how banks in the real estate industry undermine black home ownership and yeah. you know housing is is just one of the main areas where um you know just inequality is is not possible to uh to solve in any way without addressing this problem yeah 100 percent. i mean obviously with redlining after world war ii um and predatory home buying uh in um you know in like uh bedsty and other black neighborhoods of people coming in and uh getting older people to like sign away their home for you know uh with like very weird tactics and everything it's yeah it's definitely closely linked to that for sure how can people follow you so that they can you know keep updated and and see the documentary once it's available well, so the the plan was to put it on my YouTube channel, which is just youtube.com backslash backslash Jeff Seal. Um, that is hopefully where it will show up. Uh, but we don't, I don't know. But that was the plan to check it out there. Um, so, I mean, I got other videos up there uh, about uh, dumpster diving for food and hopping on freight trains uh if you they those are those are are will definitely be there uh hopefully this video will also be there at some point awesome jeff well i just want to say thank you so much for coming on the show it has been an absolute pleasure talking to you as always um the only time i don't want to talk to you is when you're miming (laughs) i know i know i i uh i promise next time we hang out i will i won't do any mime or I'll explain to you exactly what it is I'm miming. But um, yeah, no, thank you for having me on this. Um, it was awesome talking to you. And uh, yeah, thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening to Reply Guys. If you like the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Reply Guys, where we have a catalog of over 25 bonus interviews with renowned writers, journalists, and comedians, with an additional episode uploaded each week. The show is hosted by Kate Willett and me, Julia Clare. Our producer is Genevieve Garrity. Our theme song was performed by Emily Fremgen, who wrote the song with Kate Willett. Our artwork is by Adrian Lobel. If you want to find us on Twitter, we're at Kate Willett with two L's and two T's. And I'm at O Julia Tweets, O-H Julia Tweets. And Twitter is where you can, of course, also find our reply guys. They are always with us. Bernie, take us out. Walking that ribbon of highway, I saw above me that endless skyway. I saw below me that golden valley. This land was made for you and me. This land is your land. This land is my land.